I'm on my deathbed and I am dying and God gave me one last thought, well, one last thought, one last breath, I'd, I'd like it to be wow, that was exceptional. Welcome back to another episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. My name is Landon. Today's sponsor is Il Primo Espresso Cafe. It's officially spring and Il Primo always has delicious, fun, seasonal drinks like the Funky Monkey Mocha or the Island Getaway Granita. Stop by Il Primo today to start or finish your day off right. Today's episode is a little different. I was asked to moderate the Startup Grind Wichita Fireside Chat with Alex Harb of Medis and RBS IT Solutions. I last interviewed Alex in May of 2020 and things have changed a lot. We talked about his journey from falling asleep at LSA Logic to starting Ribbit to starting Medis and beyond. It was very interesting to hear his take on culture, failure, and what it takes to be successful. Enjoy my conversation with Alex Harb. My wife and my Candace and I run Wichita Life, um, which is social media platforms. Um, we have a podcast, which is kind of why I'm up here today, and an email newsletter, the Wichita Life Update, that we send out three times a week with local news, events, and kind of everything Wichita, um, so that you can stay up, to te- uh, stay up to date on everything going on in town in five minutes rather than trying to dig through a bunch of sources. So if you want to sign up for that, go to wichitalifeact.com, and you can sign up for that there. Um, today, we are here to hear from Alex Harb. Alex, thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, he started Ribbit, or RBS IT Solutions, and Medis, um, among other things. And so we're going to kind of dive into his story a little bit, but uh, please welcome Alex. chairs up here today. Um, so I interviewed you for my podcast back in May of 2020. Yes. And so if we all think back to where we were at in May of 2020, we were probably locked in our house um, because it was kind of a different world back then. Yes. Um, but before we get to that, before we get to Ribbit and Medis, tell us a little bit about coming to the U.S., coming to Wichita from Lebanon. Yes, so it was August 16 of 2000. This is when my plane landed in the flatland of Kansas. Of I came as an international student, I went to Wichita State University, WSU, uh, as a computer science student, and uh, that's how it all started. And uh, I, uh, I loved it. I, uh, I actually, a couple of years after I was in Wichita, I went away from another bigger city and I couldn't wait to get back to Wichita. I don't know what it is, it's everybody. A lot of people I talk to, they complain about which I'm being boring, but I think it's the best place on the planet, honestly. Yes. I truly miss it every time I leave. So. What was the hardest part about leaving home and coming to Wichita? It, it was just mainly missing the family, you know, missing my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters. And uh, but other than that, you know, I couldn't be happier because I just came to the land of opportunity. So, you know, there was nothing else that was, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Did anybody follow your career or was your no. wife back in Lebanon? Yeah, I, my, uh, I, I got married to my wife in 2013 and uh, she's from Lebanon and she was, uh, we have three children now, she was with me here, so. Awesome. Um, so if any, what preconceived notions did you have? Did you know anything about Wichita or what, what did you think about the U.S. before you came over? Well, I knew America from watching movies, right, so I was expecting to uh, uh, find tall buildings. I actually hid my money inside my 
this pouch in, on my belly because I thought I was gonna get robbed. <laughs> so uh, it was just whatever I knew from the movies, the big cities, and you know the police chases and all that. So when I came to which I, I thought I was coming to a village, <laughs> so uh, it was not what I was expecting. Sure. You know. Uh, and so you went to Wichita State for computer science. What was the plan after school? What were you thinking? I was just, uh, I honestly, I, I, I was just, I mean, while I was going to college, I thought I was just going to be like a, a program, a programmer or, you know, computer science engineer at a, a tech company. And while I was going to college, to school, I realized that that wasn't me. That wasn't what I wanted to do. So that's when I started, I mean, computers didn't do it. I, I realized that that's not what actually what I do for the rest of my life, you know. So uh, that's when I started exploring other options. Sure. Walk, walk us through what kind of the first steps were. Where did you work at through college, and kind of what was the first thing after you got? So while I was going to college, I waited on tables at Red Rock Canyon Grill, and I was a student test engineer at the, right now it's called NetApp. It used to be LSI Logic, and uh, I was a student test engineer, and uh, I, I I truly loved waiting on tables way more than you know, doing what I was supposed to be doing for, for the rest of my life. Uh, I, I hated it so much to where I really fell asleep on my desk half the time. And uh, one day I was working in the lab and my boss, I had this boss, his name was Bernard Chan, he was from Malaysia, he's the nicest guy on the planet. I've never met a nicer guy than this guy, than Bernard. And he was walking, uh, giving a tour to some of the customers and I mean, Net app or LSI logic, a customer talking, they're probably about to spend, you know, 50 million, 100 million dollars. But it was given it to in the testing lab, and they came to my area that was in the corner, and I woke up to <laughs> 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 that to him explaining. I was so embarrassed, and he didn't say a single word to me. He just kept going, and he, I saw him in the hallway a couple of days later. He's he, he just, he totally ignored it. He, I, I was expecting, expecting to be to get fired. I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna do this to him and to myself. I'm just gonna quit. You know, so I was just so embarrassed myself that I decided I'm just gonna do, go do what's gonna keep me awake all the time. You know, so it wasn't interesting enough. It wasn't challenging enough. I was just supposed to run these tests and fill out like cell sheets. So I did, I, I did my work and I fell asleep every time. So I decided that I'm gonna go do something that's gonna actually keep me awake all the time. So I uh, I quit my job at Red Rock and I quit my job at LSI and I started looking for the next adventure. And I of course I didn't have any money, so I borrowed money, I maxed out my credit cards, and uh, opened a small 800 square computer store on Lincoln and Oliver. So you can go and tell you the whole story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I did okay. I uh, remember I didn't have any savings. I didn't really, you know, I always spent what I, I made. And uh, I started out with like about $40,000 worth of inventory and I bought some new shelves from a Target that was going out of business. And I set them up in this place. I laid the carpet in the place. And six months into it, I had $20,000 in inventory. That means that I ate the other twenty. You know, I sold them and I ate them. I used them to, you know, to buy food and live. And uh, then I got lucky with something. There was a computer store that was on Lincoln and Woodlawn that was called National Computers. They shut down overnight. 
and that store had been there for 15 years. So I immediately uh, uh, talked to the landlord that owned that shopping center and I moved my store over there. Myself, my sales overnight went from like $18,000 a month to $150,000 a month. And, and just overnight, just moving from one corner to another. And that's when it started. I mean, life get better all of a sudden, got better all, all of a sudden. So uh, I grew from there. I grew, like I expanded to eight computer stores and I did so well all the way until 2010. And uh, 2000, well, I would say 2012. I don't know, you remember, I mean, when the iPhone came out in two, around 2008, it didn't really get that many users until 2010, 2011. Before that, if you needed to apply for a job or something, you really needed a computer, you needed a printer, you needed a scanner. And when smartphones came out, and people didn't really need computers to check their email anymore. You know, they didn't need laptops. So the environment was changing, and, uh, and my business was, slowing down. I wasn't selling as many computers and printers and, you know, uh, scanners anymore. So, uh, I started having a hard time with business, you know. So, uh, I didn't know how to pivot. I was, uh, then what happened was when I did so well, I was, I've always been a hard worker. I was a hard worker. I've always worked a lot of hours, but I didn't really have the business skills and tools to pivot my business when you know, BlackBerry was not the only option to check your email. You know, if you wanted a smartphone, it was only like, if you had a BlackBerry, you were a business person, right? <laughs> so, uh, I started having a hard time because my sales were declining and I was losing employees and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and that's because the fact that I was very successful, I went from, you know, small computer store to eight because I just got lucky. I happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I had a product and somebody needed my product. You know, but when the environment changed, I really didn't have the skills and tools to shift with the environment, so I failed. And uh, I failed miserably. It was, uh, uh, but it was a good opportunity, you know? So uh, that's when I started, I, I said, okay, uh, I'm gonna go into the restaurant business. I got into IHOP, I bought into Bill McCorell, and that didn't work out either because I was actually not that good of a business person. I just got lucky, but I thought I was really good, right? <laughs> so, Warren Buffett said, says it best. He says that success is the enemy of future success. So a lot of business owners, when they start a business, I would say 90% of them, they actually get lucky. They happen to be the right person, the right place at the right time, and they get lucky, and uh, when when the environment ch change on them, and that's when they they don't know how to change, they don't know how to shift. So, uh, being six, so successful with the first try gave me the illusion that I was really really good, but the truth was that I was not. I had no idea what I was doing. So I was a hard worker. I wasn't lazy, but that was it. Uh, so I got into the restaurant business. I failed. I just kept digging myself deeper and deeper and deeper and I didn't really, life didn't really turn around for me until I seeked help. I, I decided, I came to realization that, hey, I'm not good at this, obviously I'm failing, other people are winning and I need to help myself. So I started reading books, I started reaching out to people to coach me and I finally found somebody to coach me and I read a lot of books and uh, I started figuring it out, figuring out what I needed to do. So.
what were some of the skills that you think you were missing, or what, what were the resources that you sought that? You said you had some mentors or books. Do you have any specifics there? Well, so we all have our own DNA. So what applies to me doesn't really apply to everyone because there is uh, my my DNA is I'm a I'm a technical guy. I'm not a sales guy. So if you have me taking personality test, I'm not a persuader. You know what I'm saying? A salesperson is a persuader. A salesperson can run a team better than I can because they can persuade people. They can persuade them into doing the right thing. Every business owner at the end of the day has the same, we all have the same desired outcome is we want our team to be successful so we can be successful. You know, we, uh, uh, we all wake up in the morning with an internal desire to want to be very, very successful. But whether we get there or not, that's a different story. So to me, what I was really lacking was that skills to nurture my team and nurture my customers. You know what I'm saying? Because if I, what I needed, what needed to happen when I owned a computer store and the environment started changing on me, I needed to, to go to my team, which is the source of all value creation, and have them help me transition to the next business or transition my business. But I, for some reason, I just didn't didn't have that skill to go to them, or maybe it was too much ego or something. So I tried to figure it out myself, and it was kind of like a trial and error process. So and it, it didn't work. So what I, I if you ask me what what is it that you learn from failing, I would say I learned that I that my team is absolutely the source of all value creation, and they are the ones that are going to take me places. So I always say that that. The success of my business is 100% dependent on who I hire and who I don't fire. Did you always have an itch to start a business? So you kind of, else logic, you're falling asleep, you're serving tables. Starting your own business is kind of a big step. Well, I, I. I knew I wanted to be, when you wait on tables, I was really successful, I was a very successful waiter, right? Because every day was different. You, the more you took care of the guests, the more money you made in tips. So I was really, really attracted to that. I, I, like when I was 22 years old, I'd rather work for 20 hours waiting on tables than go sit on the desk for two hours. So that was just part of my DNA that I, I wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't, that, I didn't have the personality to, do repetitive things every day. I needed to be challenged more, and uh, that's why I was more successful as a waiter than as, a, than as an engineer. So, now to go back to your question about the books, uh, a couple of books I, I really recommend is uh, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek and Measure What Matter by, Matters by John Rule. So, those are a couple of good books to read. Cool, thank you. Um, so, you failed initially. You yes. started starting to get into the restaurant game, but Rivet is still around. So tell, yes. talk us through kind of what the next step was and how you got it to be a success. Well, it all started with an apology that I sent an apology email to all my staff and I said, I failed you, I'm sorry, I owe you an apology. And uh, I, I, I laid it out as five pages of email and I said, here's what, we, here's what I'm trying to do and here's what, what I want to go. And are you with me and can you help me out? And that was the start of the change, you know? The change didn't really happen overnight. Uh, it's still, 
I mean, when you start stop learning is when you start uh, stop growing. I'm still learning something new every day, but I really, I, I things really got better for me when I had clarity on the concept of the yellow brick road to success, is what I call it. So when you bring someone on board, it's actually the start of a relationship, it's not an event. So a lot of us think that when we hire someone, it's an event, I need, a, I need to write a software, so I'm gonna go hire a software engineer. And a lot of us think that this is, this is it, we, we make the hire, we make him fill out the W-2 and I-9 forms, and the event is over. It's actually the start of the relationship. And so that was ever since I started building the Yellowbrook Road for my team, and that's when things started improving. And they really, I mean, if I was to put, things really started improving for me at the end of 2018, you know, beginning of 2019. That's when I was still seeking help and learning things really didn't really 100% turn around until like mid 2020 for me. That's when I was like, okay, so this is another, actually when COVID happened, I said, this is another failure for me. Here you go. You know, I shut down all my restaurants and it's time for me to turn this thing around and not, not just feel victim of whatever and uh, just really learn from it and get better from the situation. So, uh, that's that's when things really turn around. For sure. Um, I do want to shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about Medis, but first, who has been to Medis? Raise your hand. Awesome. If you haven't had it, there's some over there. Who has been to Medis in the last month or so? Who had Medis last night? So I do want to talk about Medis a little bit. So what was the vision behind Medis? So, um, I, from our last podcast, uh, you, I believe you said something along the, along the lines of, if I can figure out the computer business, I can figure out the restaurant business. Um, so what was the inspiration for it, and kind of how did that get started? Well, that's when I was really, this is my language cocky, and I, I thought I was really good. <laughs> you know, so I thought I was really good, and I'm just gonna figure it out. Actually, Medis was a nightmare for about three years. It was literally a nightmare. I, I, uh, I was really stressed out. My, my, my car smelled like food 24-7. Uh, every bit of my clothes had a stain of oil stain on it, and I was really bad cook. I'm a, I'm a very bad cook. I hate standing. I, I, I hate <laughs> standing on the line cooking food. I don't have passion for food. I eat a lot, but I really don't have passion for food. <laughs> so, uh, Mary's was a nightmare for uh, for freeze. What was it? What was the question again? What was the inspiration for for Mary's? Well, I so Mary's. It started out me thinking that I was really good at that whatever I touched is gonna to turn into gold. That's how it started out, right? And it turned out that that was not the case. So uh, there was a need for a Mediterranean chain, you know, that is acceptable by the majority of people. Yes, we do talk about authentic, and if you, uh, I always talk about this, if you give, go on Facebook right now and ask who's got the best burrito, right? Who sells it, who makes the best burrito? It's always going to be this small home or a home or restaurant on West 21st Street and Waco or something, right? Everybody is going to vote for that place. But here, here in Wichita, I mean, I can tell you, nobody in the history of mankind ever sold or is ever selling right now or will ever sell more burritos than Chipotle, 
right? Yeah, Chipotle would not get a single vote on, on social media for having the best burrito. It's gonna be some small hole in the wall restaurant. But at the end of the day, Chipotle is what is serving 7,000 people a day. And that hole in the restaurant is gonna get about 75. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I was, uh, I, I wanted to create a chain that uh, sell Mediterranean food because I saw lack from the, the Mediterranean cuisine uh, in the market, and just that I can expand across the country that was acceptable, acceptable, accept, accepted or acceptable to the majority of the population. That was uh, the whole inspiration behind Mendes back then. Yeah, sure. And so where, where did you start? Was like one, one location, how did you start in Wichita, and where are you at right now? So we start, I started Mendes on here in Rock Road. It, was, it looked like a Chipotle, and uh, like I said, a struggle for about three years. We had a lot of issues, and uh, we, the, the main problem with it was we, we had a good lunch business, but there was nobody at dinner time. It was just the place was just empty at dinner time. So I, I could not, it, it was really stressful because you're only doing one meal a day and you cannot sustain a restaurant operation doing one meal a day. Now you can't sustain it if you just want to spend the rest of your life cooking shawarmas and serving hummus, but I don't have, remember, I don't have passion for food, so I was hating my life, you know? So I didn't really enjoy cooking. I had to stand on the line and cook myself for three years because I had no idea what I was doing, so I had to learn it. And before I started it, I thought I was just gonna hire a couple chefs that are gonna write the recipe book, and life was just gonna be good for me. But that was not the case. <laughs> so, in the food business, there's two types of food. There's a food that you make in, you make in less than a minute, which is like a turkey sandwich or whatever you, you like a hamburger, you can actually make a hamburger in less than a minute. Or there's a food that you make in the morning and hold on a steam table for the whole day. Those two, two types of food, you can have the best recipe for the best plate, but if you, there's difference between the food that you cook and, and serve right away, and when you, when you have to hold it on a steam table for 12 hours, what is it going to taste like? What is it going to look like? So that was a challenge for me. It wasn't just a matter of finding a good recipe. It had to be a good recipe, that recipe that works, whether you, it, it had to be a recipe that you can either cook in under a minute or cook and hold for the whole day and still, you know, maintain the same quality that you wanted to, to maintain, so. Makes sense. Um, it's interesting that you kind of went into it thinking you wanted to start a chain yes. rather than just like a single restaurant. So what what do you have to think about ahead of time? Like what are the values? What kind of culture do you have to build to kind of make sure that it's scaled? So when I when I started Medis, I didn't know anything about culture, right? So and uh, I I totally thought that what I what was very important for me to find the .com. Medis.com, just that I thought that was very important, and and uh, like I said, it was kind of like the rest of people. But it turned out that the culture was very important, and what I realized that actually Medis is nothing without having great culture, you know. So right now, if you ask me what is Medis, I tell you it's a team of exceptional people that go above and beyond and push their big on the. the push beyond their limits on daily basis. That's what matters. It's not actually the product, it's not the recipe, it's not the drinks that we sell, it's the people that are running the Medis. That's what Medis is comprised of. So what, what is gonna make Medis successful and, or uber successful is gonna be the team that's running it. And 
the more the challenge that team gets, the more successful they get, they get that the more medals is gonna get. So that's what right now that's what I how I think about medals. Back then I didn't really think I was confused all over the place, but now that's that's what that's what I believe is gonna really take medals to the next level. Sure. And uh, just to double back, where how many locations in Wichita and what other cities are you? We have uh, five locations in Wichita. We just opened one location in Kansas City, and uh, they're all doing really, really well. Thanks God. So, so the one in Kansas City is actually really, really, really successful. It just uh, exceeded every expectation. Sure. And are there big plans? I mean, this year. The uh, this year, we 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 just signed. Uh, we bought two properties, and we leased three more properties. So there'll be five more stores by by the first quarter of next year. So, like I mentioned, the first time I interviewed was May of 2020. So, tell us a little about how you had to um, pivot. Talk a little bit about Rivet, but how you had to pivot Mendes during 2020 with the shutdowns and everything else. How did you kind of you take advantage, or how did you have to innovate, adapt? So, there's two things that I really got from COVID. The first, that's the first issue we had it was actually a quick fix. It was the, the curbside business. I, I had been trying to figure out the curbside business for literally three years, and COVID happened, and uh, the minute COVID happened, I shut down. I was the first restaurant to shut down my restaurant, uh, my, my restaurants in Wichita. And uh, I started construction immediately and doing side doors and did professional signs. Didn't have any buckets with you know dirt in them and just a, a piece of paper with writing on it. I did professional signs and. I heard this podcast. This guy was saying, was talking about COVID and how this is gonna be the new norm. It's not really gonna take over the world, but we're gonna get something out of COVID that's gonna stay with us for for the longest time. And he gave an example about uh, I can't remember his name. The guy that ran Chrysler in the seventies when he went to the government and borrowed money. The Chrysler had to be built out by the government and. That was a really big no-no from the federal government that, hey, we, we're the federal government, we don't bail out the private businesses. And ever since then, now every time something happened, the government comes in with helicopter money and they bail them out. So the fact that it did happen, that was gonna make it happen again. So whether it's this year or next year, you never know. So I started thinking about how can I position my business to sustain another COVID. And we all know that this is gonna pass, it's gonna be behind us at one point. But how can I build my business and pivot my business to where it can sustain another Medis? And I don't know if you remember Mother's Day in 2020, if you went out to any restaurant, they had probably had 52 curbside orders, to go orders, and nobody knew whose order was. Everybody, everybody wanted to buy through the Mother's Day in 2020. We did, what, 1,500 people that day with six, six minutes ticket time. Oh. And that, that we, we really aced it, and that's because we, we started March, like middle of March when COVID happened, by middle of April we, we literally perfected that game and we, we were able to perform. Now as soon as we were over the COVID issue and the curbside, we, you know, we're still 50% of our business until today is still curbside. So uh, we, we came to that employment issue. Right, so we shut down all my stores and all my kids stayed with me, but I had 10 managers that were at the front of the house managers. Um, Kennedy got pregnant, Stephanie got pregnant, and Ali was, <laughs> Ali moved to Alaska with her boyfriend. I mean, that's what, literally that's what happened. And uh, 
another one, she, she graduated and she, went, she became a nurse. So I had no managers. And trying to hire people after COVID, it was, a, it was a nightmare. I mean, we were in a position, you have to beg people to come apply, you have to beg them to come and interview, you have to beg them to come and train, and then you have to beg them to do their job. And how can you hold them accountable when you're in the begging business, right? So I was paying people $12 an hour. I said, listen, this, these are extreme circumstances. I gotta figure something out. I gotta figure out an extreme solution. So there's been a study that's been done a million times, and it's always been, when, when companies go and ask employees what the, the 10 important things to them uh, for them to keep their job, and pay has always ranked number four or five, right? Now employers always thought that pay was the answer, but the employees thought something different. A Stanley job did a survey in March of 2021, and they asked 4,000 restaurant employees why they quit their job. One of the people said, that, well, the main answer was there was a, there was the main answer was the number one reason was the money, right? And at the, around the same time, there was a lot of drama going on on, on social media. How restaurants don't pay living wage is what they call it. So I figured, okay, so I'm gonna get ahead of this problem. I'm not gonna offer somebody twelve dollars an hour. I'm gonna pay twenty dollars an hour. And that's, that's when everybody was paying 10 and 213 an hour and 12 and 11. And you know, I'm gonna pay 20 and for bartenders, I'm gonna pay $25 an hour. And I had no idea how I was gonna be able to pay for that increase in expense because I did, you know, I wasn't making a million dollars a month, so I didn't really have all that extra money to spend on wages. But, uh, but I was like, I'm just gonna do it. If it doesn't work, I'm just gonna shut down. I'm not gonna be begging people to come into work. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. So immediately overnight, we got traction from that, and we had a backlog of like a thousand applicants. What also happened at that time was we got so many calls. Ironically, everybody on my team all of a sudden remembered their job description. <laughs> so everybody that was working in the restaurant remembered that they are supposed to. They remember what to do because. Trust me when I tell you, you cannot, uh, when we are given the choice whether we have to work or we don't work, we just, I mean, it's our nature to take the, the path of least, least resistance. So when everybody on your team thinks that, hey, this guy can never get rid of me because he can't find employees, there's just something I gotta do with the work. I'll probably, probably behave the same way if I was in that position. So when they, the next day, the, the, the phone start ringing, are you guys still hiring, are you guys still hiring? Everybody on the team remember their job description. I swear to God. So, and that was the biggest game changer. That was the best decision I've ever made because it truly it changed my the culture of the business and everything. Twenty years ago, you used to before I before I let me back up a little bit. Ever since Google got in business, right? Ever since people started reading about Google, we started reading about how Google do their their laundry for their employees and then how they build a nap and how they have jelly bean in the, uh, jelly, bean, uh, jelly bean in the break room and how they give them four hour energy drink. And we started seeing these surveys on LinkedIn about the best to work for the work for companies. And the litmus test has been, is how many perks do they do for their team? Uh, are they able to bring their dog to work? Do they have nap rooms? Do they give back massages? You know, none of the surveys have, have been uh, about 
uh, how many challenges they put them uh, uh, through, how uh, how much accountability, how much result, how many, what kind of results they get to produce. Because 99% of us wake up in the morning with an internal desire to want to be successful. We all subconsciously want to go to work and actually make a million dollars, not really go have a four-hour energy drink in the break. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, 20 years ago, the relationship between employer and employee was, I have a job, you want the job, I really need you more than you need me. I, the employer, need you more than you need me, but I only need you if you are able to take me places. You know what I'm saying? I will not need you just because you look good. So when I change the relationship with my business, all of a sudden we didn't have to have, I call it the brain damage conversation. You know what I'm saying? The conversation to where, hey, uh, you're not even doing your job what we have to do. You know what I'm saying? So with all the talk about the perks and all the best work for, work for companies, there's a, a very fine military organization on the planet. The finest military organization is called the Green, uh, the, the Navy SEALs. And the Navy SEALs are very successful and they are absolutely the finest, not because they get to break the dock to work, not because they have the jelly bean in the, in the break room, because they have pork rind jerkies, because they have, they give back massages. Because those guys, they, they get the right people in place, they train the heck out of them, they hold them accountable, and they're proud of the results. And those guys, they hold each other accountable because if you're on the, the Navy SEALs team and you make a mistake, somebody's life is in jeopardy, right? So you, they have to hold each other accountable. They are successful because they hold them to a very high standard, and those guys love to be challenged and love to win. So you join the Navy SEALs and you stay in the Navy SEALs, not because of the person they give you, because you get addicted to winning. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I, if you ask me, what do you want to do with Medis? My dream is to build a team that gets up in the morning, work in unison for a common objective, get stuff done, hold each other accountable, and are proud of the results, and are proud of the results. You know what I'm saying? That's what I think what's gonna take business to the next level. I might be, I might not sound like every other speaker that you have here because they, you know, they talk about it. I believe that nurturing a team has nothing to do with perks, but it has everything to do with helping them get successful because all of us want to wake up in the morning and want to become very, very successful. And every time we succeed, we get addicted to that feeling and we want to be succeed again and again. So it is my job as an employer to help them be there, get there. So. I love hearing the perspective. It's, it's bigger than a restaurant, but everything about the team. Um, how do you juggle Rivet and Medis at the same time? Like, what's your what's a day in the life look like? What's your role in each? I uh, so I have I, I I try to be very involved with the strategic decisions, and I I trust the team to make the tactical decisions. So, it's not actually like, it's, it's not a struggle, it's not, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, so I have a model called the reporting out model. Okay, so every, so I have somebody running Rivet, and I have somebody running RBSID, and I have several people running Medis. And the reporting out model is, 
uh, they every Friday at five o'clock, each team leader, they have to deliver to me a list of deliverables that we had agreed upon and uh, talked about and uh, whether they delivered on them or not. So I don't do checking in versus I, do, I adopted the model of reporting out. So if you are working for me and you're running a team, you know what's expected out of you. You know how, what, how you're gonna get an A and how you're gonna win and what's gonna get you a raise and what's not gonna get you a raise. You have a, a clarity on those outcomes and every Friday by five o'clock, you're gonna send me a report and tell me what, what you won on and what you didn't win on. And it, whatever you missed on, you're gonna tell me why as a team leader and that because that the, the performance of your team is a direct reflection of your management style. So if you were running a team for me, you're gonna, whatever happens with the team, it's not John's fault, it's something that you did wrong to fail John, so John is not able to do his job. So when I adopted the model of reporting out, things got a lot easier for me to be able to run multiple teams at the same time. Um, we just have a couple minutes left because we're going to be able to have some questions, but um, how has being an immigrant shaped your entrepreneurial spirit? Well, America, I, I, I truly believe that America is absolutely the best country on the planet because of the opportunity it gives to, that it gives to immigrants. I mean, there is no other plan. We see right now with the Russia war, the war, they have to buy microwaves to make weapons, right? So they have to buy the microwaves to steal electronic parts out of them to make missiles. They don't even make anything. We had no idea that the Russians can't manufacture anything. We manufacture everything, we control the internet, we control everything on this planet because we attract all the people that want to live free on the planet to come to America and uh, we promise them a, a free life and we deliver on our promise. So I've never felt I've never, the one thing I want to establish is I've never felt discriminated against. I've never felt any different. I never felt that I missed out on an opportunity because I have a thick accent. Uh, I've I, I, I always felt that I've had every opportunity that everybody else has uh, had in this country, just like the person that was born in America. And uh, now I'm probably more grateful for the opportunity that I've been given because I've seen what the other side could look like and feel like. Uh, but. Uh, uh, it's, it, it couldn't have gotten any better. I mean, honestly, it's been great. So, um, what is next for you? Continue to expand? Is there another industry? You kind of hit the computers, the restaurants. Is there another industry? Or just keep kind of growing. I really don't want to uh, get into any other industries, but uh, I've been asked this question before. Somebody asked me one time. He said, "What is the end goal for you? Is it the number of stores? Is it, is it the amount of money?" Uh, is it, is it just the, the, the social status? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And it is truly about, to me, it's truly about changing life in an exceptional way. You know, so I, my answer was, if hopefully not before I'm 90 years old, if I'm on my deathbed, and I am dying, and God gave me one last thought, well, one last thought, one last breath. I'd, I'd like it to be, wow, that was exceptional. So that's, that's the end game, is to make the exception. Um, with that, what questions do you guys have? <clears throat> Love your story. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Tell me about your home. 
what's happening in Lebanon right now and uh, your overall take on what's happening in the Middle East? Mm, man, that's a very The Middle East uh, has this. Uh, so let me give you the end, end result. We'll never have democracy, okay? Because we uh, people that, that the mentality in the Middle East is actually a tribal mentality, you know. So uh, uh, we thrive with dictators. You know, and so Middle Eastern people, they somehow, I don't know what it is in their blood, they like dictators. They don't like democracy. They fight with each other if they, they, they have that, the option to all the time. And they, they try to free Syria, they try to free Libya, but it never worked. And it, will, it, all, it all the same thing with Iraq, Afghanistan. It's all the same thing. And that, I think, the, I, my personal opinion is, the problem is from the household, because we, I grew up, with this tribal mentality to where you're loyal to this person because they are this social status or this person or this tribe or this last name or this whatever it is. And so it's not really a free system, it's not a free society. And so the Middle East will always have issues, it's never gonna change. I think uh, social media has made things worse in the Middle East uh, because social media makes everything worse. And uh, I mean, here in America, we've never been more divided. And uh, I totally believe it's because of social media. So uh, I, I don't think the, the Middle East will, uh, uh, not at least in the next few lifetimes, will ever change. I, I, I happen to believe that it's just always going to be the same. And home for you is Lebanon? Lebanon, yes. Beirut? Yes. And so I, I go there about every once every five years. It's not as bad as. Most people think it's actually not as dangerous because I grew up there for 20 years, so I kind of know my way around. There are some dangerous areas, but where when I go, it's actually pretty peaceful. So uh, it's not as as uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's not as bad as people think it is. You know. So thank you. You will. Yeah, thank you very much. It was really very um, interesting. Uh, I've got two things for you. Number one is a proposal, yes. which is, um, since I work with SBA program at the moment, currently we have a grant for businesses who um, retain their employees during COVID, specifically in 2020 and first quarter of 21. So if you'd like to apply, just let me know. It's 26,000 per employee. <laughs> Second thing is, I'm just advocating for my, for my work, that's all. <laughs> Second thing is, um, your, um, your entrepreneurship journey has been something like a roller coaster since yes. you started yes. uh, up to this point. And I've noticed um, uh, what you have described and said that the points that actually uh, worked for you was basically, it's not only the culture, everything that you said basically is, it's building the brand, a brand name that would allow a business to actually move forward, right? So what, what would be your advice for a small business that just started and they don't really appreciate what a brand name is all about and they do not know how to? So how important is it and what would you do about it? So you're asking me what advice I have for a small business owner, like how to become more successful in their business? To maintain the branding. Okay, so 
a lot of times I hear this talk about this idea, right? So somebody has an idea and they always think it's a great, the greatest idea on the planet, right? And it's, it's actually not what you do, it's how you do it. So, and also the other concept in small businesses is start with a customer and with their wants and needs and work your product backwards. So don't try to come up with a good idea and try to shove it down your customer's throat because you think it's a good idea. You know what I'm saying? If you want to have a product and you want to sell it to someone, you got to make sure that there's a group of people that are looking for this product and all you have to do is just come up with an aspirin for some kind of pain that they have. If you try to sell a vitamin, you're going to be spending for that's real life trying to convince them to buy the vitamin from you and try to convince them that the vitamin is going to be good for them. If they have a pain and you come up with that aspirin that's going to cure their pain, then you don't have to sell them your product. They just automatically come to you and you never have to convince them. So that's why I always say it's not what you do, it's how you do it. It's, got, it's not really the product itself, it's what it represents. You know, so does this product represent an aspirin for a pain? Is there a group of people out there that are frustrated with your competitors and they would like things to be different and you're going to bring that solution to them? You know, so to maintain a brand, you always want to make sure that your product is solving some kind of solution. You know, and the minute it becomes an aspirin for a pain, you don't really have to market it anymore and sell itself. Does that make sense? Well, it doesn't. This is only um, uh, the, the ground rule for businesses and the legal brand name. But for you, startups, I think they might know that, but they wouldn't know how to actually do it. Well, I honestly couldn't help you because business is not bad. Throw one size fits all. I don't. I know about my business, but I really. I mean, I can give you general ideas, but I don't have the magic wand to say, okay, well, this is what you have to do to implement it because I believe in the concept it just because if I go adopt Amazon's employee parking policy, it doesn't mean that I'm gonna have Amazon success. Amazon employee parking policy works for Amazon, but it's not necessarily gonna work for me. It might work for me, it might not. You know what I'm saying? So I don't I don't believe in the concept of there's one rule of thumb and you just follow that rule and you just gotta be successful. The only difference there's, a, there's books out there that you can, they say how to make a million dollars in one week, right? Working four hours a week with your underwear and out of your kitchen, right? <laughs> <laughs> the only difference that book would make your life is you're going to be 29.99 cheap uh, poorer after you buy it. <laughs> so, so there's no, people that write books that tell you this is how you run a business and this is how you make it, they wouldn't be in the business of selling books if, they were, if, if it was that easy, you know? So they wouldn't be selling books for nineteen ninety nine. They'd go start a business and make a billion dollars every transaction if it was that easy. So that's that's my answer. So I'm sorry, I don't really have a magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. honestly, all I think that's good. So I love your customer service at all the many restaurants. Do you like you said it kind of has that Chipotle feel where it's really quick, but also it's got that sit down feel restaurant where people are coming around, filling up your drinks. 
Um, do you think that you developed that into your culture, or was that that twenty dollar per hour situation? How did that happen? It's a lot more than the twenty dollars an hour. It all starts with the question that I, we all ask ourselves in the morning. We all have different questions, and we have this thing with our culture about the question and not the answer. We all start always start our day with a question. The questions for me, there's three questions I ask myself every day. The question number one is, what would it take for every customer after they do business with me to say to themselves, I would be crazy to go do business somewhere else? And then that the answers are unlimited. Question number two, what would it take for every employee on my team to say, I would be crazy to go work somewhere else? Question number three is, how can I run a sustainable, profitable business and still build a team that wakes up in the morning, working unison for a common objective, hold each other accountable, get stuff done, and are proud of the results. There's so many things that we do that get us to a point today that we have backlog of 3,000 applications because our turnover is zero. You know, now we do lose people every once in a while. You know, sometimes it's peaceful, sometimes it's not. That's just the nature of business. But this is this is our desired outcome, and this is this is something that we we this is something that we talk about almost every day at work, you know. And we also have what we call the rules of the game. You talk about uh, the, the the attitude of the team at Medis. The rules of the game at Medis. There are three main principles of the rules of the game. If you decide that you want to be part of Medis. You gotta abide by these rules. If you don't want to abide by these rules, that 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 still makes you a great person, but it makes us not the right fit for you. The rules of the games are the following: do the right thing, do the best you can, and show others that you care. And those apply to me before they apply to anyone else. You know what I'm saying? So I truly believe that every human being wakes up in the morning with an eternal desire to want to be successful, and it's up to me as the head of the fish, the owner of the business, to help them become very successful. Now, when they're not successful in my organization, that's for two reasons. Reason number one, I'm not doing my job, and reason number two is because we're not the right fit for them. We are they are the wrong clay for our mold. It doesn't make him a bad person. They're never a bad person. It doesn't make us a bad company. It's just not the right fit. I can give you a hundred jobs that I could hold good day and I would get fired. I would not make it past the first five hours. You know what I'm saying? Do I have good intentions? Yes. Do I really want to be successful? Yes. But that, that you can't put me in every position and expect me to be successful. You know, so if you're not successful at Medis, you're still a great person. You still, I do believe that you still want to be successful, but we're just not the right fit for you. Or I'm not doing my job. So. Okay, so uh, we always like to end it with one last question. What can the Wichita community do for you? Not nothing. They already don't want me. <laughs> I am here because of the Wichita community. I'm, I am forever ever grateful to this community that, you know, I, I, I have the desire and will to succeed, but if it wasn't for this community, and remember, my team is part of this community, so they, they got me to work. They, they put food on my table. I will never forget them. So they don't need to do anything else. It's my, actually my job right now, my turn to make that. That's, that's what I try to do on the community.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. Check us out on social media at Wichita Life ICT or our website, wichitalifeict.com. Huge thanks to Jake B for editing and producing our podcast. Have a good one and we'll see you next time.